Amen. Amen. Jerry and Patty, thank you so much for doing that and pinch hitting uh, a moment's notice. I actually don't even think we even need a message after that. We could just dwell on that last prayer for that was that was great. And you know, surrendering to God's work in our lives, to the sweet incense of uh, the, the devotion to Jesus, and let our sacrifice be a sweet incense to Him. Um, all of those are wonderful things, and they tie a little bit in perhaps to some of what we'll talk about this morning. A welcome to each of you. Welcome to those joining us in live stream. We have more people, I think, in live stream today than normal because we've got some folks that are that are home and, and not feeling well or recovering, and so we're, we're glad that we have that tool, and we're happy that you're with us uh, in uh, cyberspace as well. Uh, you know, this morning, this is New Year's Eve, and this time period in our in our culture and in our in our you know, in the United States and probably around the world, I assume, is as a time where we always hear a lot about New Year's resolutions. If you're watching, you know, football on TV like I do, you see advertisements for gym memberships, and uh, yeah, if you're, if you're listening to things on the radio or listening to podcasts, you have advertisements for how to learn a new language or all these different things because people come up with resolutions where they're gonna, you know, start dieting, get in shape learn a new language, learn a new skill. Uh, hopefully we have some, some goals in our, in our relationships and our families as well about how we can, we can you know, do better with, with things that we'd like to do better with with our, with our spouses or our children and, uh, and how we can, how we can uh, achieve more there. But uh, it's really become a whole cottage industry of New Year's resolutions. And you know, there's really nothing spiritually significant about New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, you can decide to change your life on, you know, on March 22nd or, <laughs> or October 1st. Uh, there, you, know, you can decide to start a new diet anytime. Uh, the best time to start something new to, improve, you know, to try to improve your own well-being or improve your life is, is now. You know, the best time was yesterday. The second best time is now is that expression. But we also know that you know, God can work within the customs of our society to kind of help us to pivot towards where he wants us to go. And I, I didn't have a lot of advance notice uh, preparing a message today, and so I thought I would kind of draw a little bit from my own time in, in the Bible, uh, in the Word. Actually, a, a long time ago, I made sort of a New Year's resolution to try to be much more consistent about reading the Bible daily, particularly during the week. You know, we get, we're fortunate here, we get great biblical truth every, every Sunday, but that's not really enough. That's not enough. It's important. Uh, but it's not enough. We need we need God's word every day, and sort of made it. I, I realized that over the years I'd become a little bit lackadaisical about consistently reading. So I've I've been much better with that. Not to pat myself on the back. I, sometimes the Lord reminds me at certain times. You know you get, you know don't 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 let it go more than one day where you weren't reading your reading your Bible because I need it. I need it. And what I've kind of gotten into over the last several months is reading a little bit in both the Old Testament and New Testament. Reading through usually three or four chapters in each in, in a book in the Old Testament, a book in the New Testament. Uh, recently, I've been doing a lot of reading in, in um, I've gone through uh, Acts, Romans, and, and 1 Corinthians, and I'm into 2 Corinthians now. And so I, a lot of this is, of course, about the Apostle Paul and his right, and of course, he wrote uh, Romans and 1 Corinthians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so I thought we'd talk about a little bit about what would Paul's sort of New Year's Day message be to the church? What can we draw from his writings? And I, I so I'd like to explore that with you a little bit, um, and if we could put the first slide up on the screen. There it is, New Year's message from Paul, 
And I think it's four, really four resolutions for believers today that we can draw from the Apostle Paul and, and his writings. And so, um, hey, there we go. The first one I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, the first one is in this new year, we as believers don't fear the foolishness. Don't fear the foolishness. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Start here in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Um, for those, for to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is God's power. For it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts." Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save us, those of us who believe, through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks and all Gentiles, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. There are five times in those seven verses, that was one, verses 18 through 25, five times in seven verses there, Paul uses the word foolish or foolishness. And in each time, he is referencing or he's juxtaposing the truth of Jesus Christ and or God's wisdom with sort of the dominant conventional wisdom or practice of the world at that time. So it's interesting, though, why is foolishness the descriptor? That's the kind of interesting word that God would say, foolishness. Now, it sort of makes sense when you talk about wisdom. The wisdom of the world is, you know, God's wisdom is, makes the wisdom of the world look like foolishness. When we think about Jesus Christ crucified being foolishness, it sounds almost sacrilegious, right? You'd want to be careful talking that way as a believer, you would, you would think. Uh, and I, well, as I've dwelt on that over, really over a long period of time of, of sort of reading that passage many times in my life, it's become more real to me that when we attempt to stand for the truth and stand for God's word, and to, especially talking about it being a stumbling block, when we attempt to explain to the people in our lives that we know how um, they or how a person, any person, can become free, or how a society, because we live in a broken society, how a society or a community can become free from bondage through surrender to Jesus Christ and surrendering, ironically, we talk about freedom, but surrendering really to the, the benevolent dictatorship of Almighty God when we surrender to God. It sounds like foolishness to people who don't understand what we're talking about. It really sounds like foolishness if someone is not yet tired of seeking their own salvation or seeking, and in many cases, they wouldn't call it that, but we see so much in our society today and all of the controversies we see around people's identity or the way that we live our lives um, or what we see in our, like, the, de the debate and the fight over what we see in our, in our you know, pop culture and, and, and all that. So often, the people that are most stridently on the other side from us, what they're really trying to do is find a solution for what they see as a problem in life, but they're doing it 
in their mind, it, it, it's through the freedom to do whatever they want to do. And they, they feel like if we can just be better people and embrace what everybody wants to do, that will make us, that will somehow bring salvation to us. That will somehow bring us to a place where society will be perfect. Uh, you know, on the economic side, you'll see people talk about, it. well, if everybody could just kind of agree to live the same way and, and uh, you know, abolish all, you know, all sorts of, of things, then we could just all kind of live and subsist and we wouldn't really have to work all the time. But there's all these bizarre philosophies. And we can sit here as believers and, and, and say, and be frustrated. And it feels, like, it feels like when you're explaining to somebody, no, you actually surrender your right to do whatever you want for the freedom that comes with surrender to Christ. It almost seems like we're the foolish ones, right? Uh, it, 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 it makes us feel frustrated. If you hold up, if, wherever you work or whatever you do in your life, if you are consistently holding up a standard of righteousness in the way that you live, in a crowd of sort of compromised people, and this is not a self-righteous statement, but if you're walking with the Lord and really seeking to follow him with your whole heart and to do what is right and to avoid things that we know are sinful or wrong, you're going to be surrounded a lot of times by many people who don't even understand why you, don't think, why you think that's wrong to do that particular thing or why you don't engage in certain types of behaviors. Um, and when you're surrounded by ungodly behavior, again, it can make, kind of make us feel like we're the foolish ones or that we're somehow wrong for, stand, for standing for truth. And again, I'm not talking about people who necessarily are confrontational, although sometimes we should be a little confrontational when the time is right. But I mean, even sometimes just saying, I'm not going to participate in that kind of behavior. I'm not going to engage in that. That will make you, and then trying to explain to somebody why you don't and why they shouldn't and why society would be better if people really hewed more closely to what God is teaching us in his word, you almost feel like it's, just, it's a translation block and you feel foolish. Um, sometimes it's like the expression, there was a move from a movie, the person says, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And if you're, and if you, today, if you were out in the culture and you were living your life, you know, uh, my, Ruth teaches at school, but we have people here in a teach, in the public school system, we have people who are in, in higher education. We have people here who work. Obviously, many of you are in, in different types of workplace environments. Um, and it, you can feel like sometimes I'm the crazy, maybe I'm the crazy one because I'm trying to, I'm trying to do what I know is right. And uh, it, it's, like you, it's like the world gets turned upside down. Um, so it, I think when we proclaim Christ, whether we're literally telling people about the truth of God's word and what it takes to be saved. Um, it's not about, by the way, I'm talking about things that we do and don't do, but it, as we know, it's not about whether you can be a good person. The world tries to save themselves through good intentions and through being kind, you know, be kind, be kind to everybody. Be, and, and, and some of those things are fine, but we know that, you know, that there's not, we, we can't just be saved through being a good person. Or if we take a stand for truth in the way that we live, there's odds with the people around us, even the people that we, you know, that we know personally and that we love, we feel foolish. It's really hard. It's really hard to live for God and live for the truth and to proclaim the truth today. It's very hard. It's very hard. But I think that's exactly why this passage exists. I, th I think God is saying through this passage in Corinthians, for, uh, verses uh, 18 through 25 in the first chapter, God says, yes, my death, burial, and resurrection 
and my call to take up your cross daily and follow me does sound foolish to people who want to live for themselves. And it would have sounded foolish to us in our sin. And it is a stumbling block. The idea that you have to surrender your right to do what you want to do and and you have to surrender is a stumbling block to people who feel like there must be a, a different way or an easier way, or in some cases, it's a stumbling block to people. And I think with, with, when he references the Jews here, they, they were like, no, there's a harder way. I have to earn it. You know, I have to earn my salvation. So pe- some people are looking for that. They're like, well, it can't be as easy as just letting go and surrendering. I have to earn my So there's the, the, two, you know, there's the two extremes of it, 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 it's hard to surrender or, well, no, it can't be that easy is to just surrender. <laughs> so it's, it's both. It's a stumbling block. And that's why we can feel discouraged. God says that's why you sometimes feel discouraged, but it's okay. Because this foolishness that you feel is better than any earthly wisdom. And the weakness that we have when we submit to Christ, knowing that, knowing that it is very difficult to live that way and, to, and it's difficult for people to understand, that weakness is stronger than any human power. Because we have to, we're putting our trust in Almighty God and in Christ. So you don't have to feel guilty when you feel like, um, I think all of us in here have spent time witnessing to people trying to share Christ. Um, We don't have to feel guilty if we feel like our efforts aren't breaking through or if we feel like sometimes we're just tired and we don't really, (laughs) we just, we stop talking to that person about it because it's just so difficult. You don't have to feel guilty or down about that. God is working in hearts every moment that we are operating in his will. He's working in, in people's hearts every moment of every day. And he's using our testimony, each of us, to the people around us and our actions to serve him to bring people to a saving knowledge of his son. So we don't have to feel like, when we sometimes will feel like, man, I just don't think I can get through this particular person. I tell you, for myself, I battle cultural factors a lot in my job when I go down to Annapolis. There's a lot of cultural factors that I find very, very I can find very frustrating and hard to deal with. But I, God, God can say to you, I'm not asking you to fix it all. I'm not asking you to actually come up with exactly the right word to say to persuade them because it's my Holy Spirit working. I am asking you, God says, to walk at godly, to embrace that foolishness of I've put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ and I'm going to live as he's called me to live and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to do what I can within the power of the Holy Spirit, um, but I'm also ultimately going to, again, it's that surrender to the Lord to let him work but he wants us to know that even sometimes just being able to you know, work in a Bible verse when you're talking about a subject, just throwing a little, you know, the Bible says this about that. You don't have to, you know, it, 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 to, to, be, to be calm, kind, and sort of rational when everybody in your place of business is flipping out about the latest thing that came down from corporate or whatever, you know, there's, there's different examples I can think of. Um, those, are, th- those are moments when, when we go out, I, I don't, I don't join in some of the activities that my fellow, you know, I'm in sales in my other job, my fellow salespeople, I don't always engage in the same activities that they engage in. And they know, and, and uh, it's, they, people feel uneasy sometimes when you don't, you know, want to do certain things that they want to go do. So those are, all, those are all ways that God works through us. It isn't always just us directly witnessing by our words, but certainly he can use that as well. So, uh, you know, everything that you do, we don't, we don't have to feel like we have to come up with the perfect words, exactly what to say. And it's okay sometimes to feel like we're taking crazy pills, to feel like I feel like I am 
the only person here that's really, uh, I feel like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being too judgmental or maybe I'm, no, no, you're, you're doing the right thing when you're walking with the Lord, when you're following his word. Um, just understand that it is foolishness to those who are perishing, like this passage says, but to those who will be saved, walking with him, the freedom that comes, expressing the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ is the power of God. And uh, we have to trust that he is going to bring people uh, to that saving knowledge. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Um, so, you know, whenever I find myself getting frustrated in that, I, I, I'm going to try to remember this year, don't be afraid of the foolishness that you feel when you're trying to stand for Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And remember uh, from Romans 11.33, just the depths of the riches of his wisdom, knowledge, and power. He has infinite resources that I don't have. And so my job is simply to be a conduit as, be- as best as I can, putting my trust in God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, giving effort. We have to give effort. Uh, God does ask that we give effort in it. But if we're doing that, I can put my trust that he, he has infinite resources working through me, and I don't have to fear the foolishness. The next thing I think that would be a resolution for us as believers here today would be in the new year to challenge the culture, to challenge the culture. You'll turn to me to Acts 17. We'll be in verse 16 through 34, and excuse me while I take a drink of water. This passage is Paul in Athens. I love Acts. Acts might be my, my favorite book in the Bible. I love the history in it. I like the stories in it. There's amazing, there's amazing stories that all throughout Acts. Um, but this is Paul on his missionary journey, one of his missionary journeys. He is in Athens. And Athens at that time, the Bible says, is a city, and it was, a city full of idols. city full of idols. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm actually going to kind of paraphrase some of the passages just for the sake of time. But Paul gets into Athens, and what Paul would often do anywhere he went as a missionary is he would start with the synagogues because he was Jewish, and he'd been a very observant Jew, and he would go and try to engage at the synagogue because Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies in the Old Testament, so he would go and start there, and that Athens was no different. He, would reason, he went first to the synagogue in Athens, and he reasoned with Jews and what are called God-fearing Greeks because in every city there would be oftentimes Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. So usually when the Bible talks about God-fearing so-and-sos, usually it was like God-fearing Greeks. It was usually Greeks who had embraced sort of that, the, the Jewish faith uh, to seek God. So he started there. He reasoned with Jews and God-fearing Greeks in the synagogue. But then, verse 18, he entered the marketplace to debate Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Um, and, in, and I have a translation. It's a little bit more of a, of a modern translation that I'm reading from, but these philosophers uh, said to him, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? I thought that was funny, pseudo-intellectual trying to say. So he entered the marketplace because these philosophers would hang out there and debate and talk uh, about the latest philosophies and, and, and their belief about the gods and, 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 and things of that nature and how it related to life. Um, I think of the marketplace almost as like social media now today, you know. Um, but he would go into the, he'd go into the marketplace um, then, then in verse 19, in verse 19, he, um, he goes to, uh, the, the, some of these philosophers were part of a group that would meet at the Areopagus, which was the um, uh, um, Mars Hill. 
Mars Hill is, the, is our translation for it. They met at Mars Hill in Athens. And um, they, would, they would have these, these meetings, and they, they took him and brought him there and said, may we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of. What you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. Um, and it says that the people that resided in Athens, particularly the people that would come to these kind of meetings, they were always talking about what the newest ideas were. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like what passes for spirituality in our culture today? Is people who, there's, there's a lot, if you, if you get into, um, you, get to, you get down some rat holes on social media or on YouTube or, or even, you know, even watching TV on, on certain, you know, certain channels, you'll, you'll get, especially like daytime talk show TV, you'll get into some really weird spiritual teachings. But that's what people, that's what passes for spirituality. Well, Paul went and engaged those people. And what he does is he says to them, and it's in verse 22, he stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. And let me tell you something. Today's culture, people are very religious. They don't think they are. But everybody is religious. Many, many people are religious. Many people don't walk with the Lord or know Jesus are religious. Some of what we see in our culture it's a religious fervor and religious belief. Sometimes it's about the earth and, and environment and, and the climate. Sometimes it's about, uh, um, sometimes it, it, it is a religious fervor. It's definitely a religious fervor about my identity and who I am and what I believe about myself. It's like the highest, being true to yourself is the, that's sort of the new, the new, new age. When I was a kid, there was a lot of weird new age teachings about meditation and mysticism and that stuff's still around but the new new age i think is your highest your highest truth is to be true to yourself how many of you have ever heard somebody say i had to speak my truth i had to speak my truth about that uh, it's a pet peeve of mine I, I don't like that my truth uh and sometimes when people say that in fairness they they're just meaning what i believe and what you know but it comes from the wrong thinking it comes from a wrong thinking that the highest ideal, my highest spiritual form is to be true to myself. And that's actually very dangerous. That's the opposite of what the Bible tells us, of course. It's opposite of what Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. So we, th that's, that's some of the newest of the new ideas that we experience. And Paul says, Paul says to them, I see you're very religious. For as I was passing, and I think that would have rankled those people for him to call them religious. Because they would have thought of themselves as being enlightened and above all of the you can just kind of get that from this passage. I'm, I may be inferring a little bit in fairness, but it seems, seems rational that a lot of these folks, they, they really believed in getting together and talking about all the latest ideas, and they wouldn't have considered themselves religious. But he says, you're very religious because, he says, as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, and let's be clear, in our society, they, they're also, I, I mentioned some things that are maybe on one spectrum, but there's also a lot of people who worship success too. Let's, let's not, I don't want to skew this one way or the other. There's a lot of people who even might call themselves Christians, but really what they worship is success. People worship sports and athletic achievement. There's a lot of things you, people worship. So I, I know I mentioned a couple sort of semi-political things. I want to step away from that because let's be very clear. People can worship all kinds of things, and we see it today. But Paul says, for as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God, to an unknown God. And then so he says, um, he says, I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. <laughs> he says, what you worship in ignorance, I'm going to proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines or temples made by human hands. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
And he starts to, and, I, and he continues to get into, uh, eventually into the resurrection. Talks about Jesus being raised from the dead to new life. And he, he gives them a salvation message there. And, and it's really interesting. He, he actually, very interesting, he ties in a couple of interesting things uh, in verses 22 to 25. He, he talks about the, um, there was a Greek belief, that, of course, we know about some of the Greek gods that were God's offspring that came down to earth. He uses that. Uh, to demonstrate how foolish, further on in the passage, how foolish it is to be worshiping. If you believe that God had offspring, why are we worshiping silver and gold idols? So he talks about that. He uses that. He also, um, he also ties in, you know, um, I'll get back to this, but he ties in also some of his knowledge of the Old Testament as he talks to some of the Jewish believers as well. But he, he says to them, if, if, you know, if, if, we have, if God's offspring could come to earth, why are we worshiping stone idols and silver idols? So he, he actually uses that. He says there's a better way. And he starts talking about the, the real the God that they called the unknown God, the, the true God. So when he's done with that, in verse 32, there are some, some of the people that were there that sort of sneered and made fun of him or just said, you know, you're wrong or you're crazy and, and, and mocked him. But there were some who said, we want to hear more of this. We want to hear more of this. And, and I think it's interesting is as we enter into the marketplace of the world each day, and as we're confronted, I talked earlier about the broken culture that we're confronted with. Um, Paul really demonstrates in how he went through Athens how we should act and react when we're confronted with um, whether it's people who, uh, you know, he, he had people that were somewhat God-fearing but didn't know Jesus or didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah or even know about the resurrection. He had people who were sort of super intellectual philosophy and he had people who were wanting to debate discuss all these new ideas and he engaged in every one of them he demonstrates how to react first of all he didn't accept any of their premises he didn't accept it he didn't accept that their culture was correct just because a lot of these people seemed smart we got back to being about foolish he, he didn't accept it he didn't ignore it he didn't just say well i just have to pretend that's not there and you know i'm just gonna have to go on my own way he, thankfully he was on a missionary journey he also didn't fear in challenging and engaging with it, and we can't either. We, we don't need to fear challenging and engaging it. Jesus Christ and the relationship with God that faith in Jesus brings answers the deepest, thorniest questions that our culture can ever present. Now, we may not always feel 100% confident in how we express it, and that's okay. Challenging the culture doesn't mean you're going to go preach on the street corner necessarily. Or it certainly doesn't mean angrily confronting people in a self-righteous way, obviously. What it does mean is living a life set apart and using any opportunity that we can to talk about the design that God has for all of us in our lives and how God made the world and made each person in it. And that's why every life is precious, every person is precious. Even the most obstinate person who will make fun of you for your beliefs or who is actively in rebellion against God, God loves them. And there's an opportunity there for that person to turn. And again, like we talked about a, a moment ago, when, when, you know, when we were talking about, um, when we we're talking about uh, not fearing the foolishness. Again, it's not necessarily our job to quote unquote convert them. That's a dangerous belief that it's my job to convert people. It's my job to give them the good news and to share with them and to love them and care for them. The Holy Spirit does that work. But if we um, if we live our lives in a set apart way not being afraid to engage, not being afraid to love, not being afraid to confront um, in a loving way, 
and we use the opportunities that we have to talk about the design God has for everybody's life, there's an amazing impact that God can have. Um, and I think I thought about this, the people that we're encountering with each day that we come in contact with. Um, there's a, a famous quote from President Ronald Reagan. There was a particular group of a, a group or, organization of people in Washington, D.C. president that really were just sort of opposing everything he wanted to try to do. And, and he, he made a comment in a speech. He said, well, you know, it isn't that they're ignorant. He said, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. <laughs> and I think that's the Athens that Paul was in. Those men were not ignorant that he was discussing and debating with in Athens, right? They weren't ignorant, but they knew a whole lot that wasn't so. And I can't think of really a better way to describe our culture today. We're so smart. Everybody thinks they're so smart. So, so smart. We remember back during the pandemic, all the experts all the experts had all this stuff that they, they said, well, this is, this is the science. And then as we moved along, um, I, you know, I, I don't attribute, there was a lot of people very wrong, and there were a lot of bad, you know, pr- wrong things that were done in that time period. Some of it, some, <laughs> uh, and some of it at the time we thought was wrong, but there's also, in fairness, I don't know that everybody that was wrong had bad intentions. I think a lot of people probably had pretty good intentions. It's just interesting that, you know, Sometimes the science would change, but the opinions didn't change for a while. And I think that's, that's interesting because we, we live in a culture today that is so, um, so focused on um, being the smartest person in the room. And I'm in politics, and I can tell you that is a huge problem. The, you know, so many people that get into politics and into government, uh, there's a lot of good people, even people I don't agree with. They're good people with good intentions, uh, even when we may disagree. But there's also a lot of folks who get into government and politics that they're the smartest person in the room. And they have a hard time listening and seeing the other side. And I say that for people that are sort of on my side can be that way too. It, it's, it goes multiple ways. This is a bipartisan or nonpartisan statement as far as politics. Uh, we, you know, so as, the, as a believer, of course, we, we should always have the humility that we, we know the truth. But we only know the truth through our knowledge and our relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, I don't have any room for arrogance in my life. Uh, uh, I don't have any room for self-righteousness. I do need to stand for truth, though, when I know it's the truth. And, uh, and I do need to not be afraid to be divergent from the culture. Uh, another way we can be divergent, uh, going, I know I'm kind of, these two points to, are sort of together in tandem uh, with foolishness and challenging the culture. But, you know, sometimes it's what I prioritize, what I choose to prioritize in my life. I choose to prioritize, um, you know, things that a lot of people might not, right, as a believer. We choose to prioritize things over other things. And, and so th- that's also a way that we can be a witness in a quiet way. I also recognize that not every, every personality, and you, when you challenge the culture, you may, need, you may be a quiet person. You may be more of an introverted person. This may surprise you. I'm not an introvert. I'm more extroverted. But just because I might be more comfortable going out and talking with people and somebody else isn't doesn't mean that they can't challenge the culture and the way they live their life in a, maybe in a more quiet way um, as far as talking. So it's, but really we're all called, I believe we're all called to challenge the culture, engage with it, uh, and, and stand for truth. And, and if you'd ever need pointers, you can just look at Paul and how he handled Athens. Um, he used his knowledge of the Old Testament prophets, the word of God, as well as understanding how the truth of Jesus being alive held the answers to what people were searching for in that Athenian Greek culture. And some of those people at the time, didn't, they sneered at him. They weren't all searching, but he was still giving them the truth. And there were people there who did, who did follow Jesus because he went and engaged with those philosophers. Um, and we don't know, of course, 
down the road if people who might have sneered or turned up their nose at it later would find, would find the truth. So that's, that's really our, our call as we challenge the culture. We can do it with quiet confidence. We walk by faith, of course. We ask God to use us, and we need to know his word as well. We need to know his word. We know his word. We can be strong, and we can be, um, we can be uh, effective for him in challenging the culture. Our third, our third um, resolution that I, I felt as I read through some of these passages I thought was really jumping out at me was Paul's call uh, and God's call to us to build the body. Build the body of Christ. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians, <coughs> 1 Corinthians is a great book. 1 Corinthians <clears throat> 6, 7, 8, 10, and 11. We're not going to read all those chapters, don't worry. They're all chapters in 1 Corinthians that deal <clears throat> with how we as believers should live with each other, serve together <coughs> uh, with our fellow Christians, building each other up, uh, those chapters, all of them address uh, in different ways how to individually and corporately within the church avoid sinful behavior and how to address sinful behavior corporately when it comes up, both individually and corporately when it comes up. But Paul's teaching on the importance of the body of Christ, and particularly our local church, can really be summed up, I think, in 1 Corinthians 12. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. We do 12, 12, and then also we're going to look at a, a couple other passages a little later in the chapter. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. If you flip ahead to verse 21, there's a lot of good in that chapter before verse 21, but just for the sake of time. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Um, I, the emphasis, the reason I read those five verses, the emphasis there is really on all the different parts. That, there's a lot there. Um, there's probably a great like expository teaching you could do on all of that and spend you know about an hour on it. But uh, the emphasis there really that jumps out at me is there's all the parts of the body are serving the body. The arm is not into the body because of what the arm gets for the bot from the body right it, it, you know obviously the arm benefits by being part of the body the head benefits but the emphasis is on we all together no matter whether we're one of the quote unquote stronger parts or weaker parts and there's a lot you can read into what they mean by that whether it's a, a stronger part or a more sensitive part um all of it benefits by being together we're called together to be together and I think it's something that, again, we talk about our culture, even in sort of Christian church culture today, is missing. So many times I've heard from people that, you know, will come in contact with, Ruth and I will talk with people, and, uh, and I know you've had this experience too. People say, you know, well, you know, we really do need to get into church more. But they don't really understand why they need to be in church. I think they think it's, they should be in church because it'll help their family, which it will, and it'll help them, which, which it will. But it's also because God's called us to be part of a body. We can't really be reach our full potential if we're not part of a body 
of Christ. And so the parts work together to enhance what God is doing. And of course, we also, of course, we do spiritually benefit ourselves by being here too. So church is not just about, though, what I get out of it or what my family gets out of it, as important as that is. I'm also a part of this body. And I, and I believe that, and of course, I know I'm preaching pretty much to the choir here today, I would think, because, uh, because of, uh, you know, we have so many folks in our church here that are, that are faithful and, uh, and, and, and committed. Uh, but, you know, if we look at, 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 at just, if we make it Liberty Church focused, each of us is needed. Each of us is needed. Each individual person is needed in the body. We each have a unique mix of uh, talents and abilities and perspectives that can be built, that can build up the body of Christ and encourage each other. Um, and by the way, the other nice thing that this passage makes, uh, I think makes clear is, if you don't feel like you have a special ability to serve the church uh, or to serve God, you're, you're wrong, first of all, because you, you, you certainly do in some way or another. But sometimes um, people can feel like, well, I'm not sure what I, what, what's my special ability that I can do. We all have, we all of us have the greatest ability of all, which is availability. <laughs> The best ability is availability. Being present and, avail- and available for God to use us is vitally important for our spiritual lives. Um, never underestimate the importance of just being in church. Just being in church to be there, to, to, to be there with the body of Christ. We benefit from it ourselves, of course, being here, but also uh, to be an encouragement and a strength to one another. And, and, and everybody has a talent or ability or, or, you know, that, that, that can be so impactful and help uh, the church. But, but just being in church is really impactful and important and powerful. And, of course, I know, I'm, I'm mindful, we have people watching today that, that, are, that are watching virtually. And that's been a great tool for people to tie into a church as well. Sometimes folks have to do that. That's something that they may need to do. Uh, but even that way, we can be tied in together. But especially when we can be in church together, it's, it's really important as we build the body of Christ to be together and in church as much as possible. Um, and it's really a culture change that's needed, like I said, in, the, in, in America today, where we're, we're very consumer-focused as Americans, and, and in the West, where it's, it's like a service. You know, we go, I go to a restaurant, they provide me food, I pay for it, I tip the service if the service is great. Um, I, go, I go somewhere to buy something or to have an experience. You know, I go to, on a vacation to have an experience. Well, we can very easily allow that to seep into how we treat church. And again, I, I, think I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm preaching to anybody here today, but it's very easy, and I've seen it, uh, to, for people to begin, for us to begin to have this attitude of the church being, you know, the, the other, a service industry uh, to get our needs met. And uh, we're here to meet needs, of course, but it's also very important that we, we, um, we have the, that, that global perspective of I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm 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 le- I'm serving, uh, and just by being here, I'm impacting the kingdom of God in a positive way. Uh, just by being here, so I think that's important for us to have a, a resolution of being focused on building the body, continuing to build the body of Christ in our local church. Um, and then the final the final uh, resolution today is uh, that we need to take on transformation in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. This is a great verse. I think it's familiar to a lot of folks, but therefore, brothers, I, I urge you in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, the perfect will of God. Uh, 
This is a, da- this is a daily call, a daily call for transformation and renewal. Uh, it's both natural and spiritual. Then I'd summarize it this way. The way to be a fool for Christ and the way to stand up for truth and proclaim his word and challenge and confront the culture and the way to build his body is to surrender to this transformational process. It's a daily process and it starts with renewing our minds each day. The transforming of us by the Holy Spirit starts with renewing our mind. The greatest challenge that any of us face is that our thoughts are often besieged with worry, fears, and distractions. And, and, and you know, we hear about do not conform to this world, but be transformed. Conforming to the world, we often think of as becoming sinful, which it certainly can mean that. But it also can just be that we conform to what's important to the world. We conform to worldly priorities ahead of God's priorities. And so I, I believe just in reading Paul's admonition is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, And that's probably of these four, the most timely thing for us to embrace in 2024. I think about my, you know, my, my son just got some transformer toys for Christmas and, you know, he likes to, he likes to, they start out as like a big Mack truck or a sports car and they transform into a fighting warrior. Um, I don't know about you. I don't feel like a sports car most days or a big powerful Mack truck. I feel more like a Ford Pinto sometimes, but, but, but when I, when I, when I talk to the Lord and when I surrender to the Lord each day, I'm tra- I can be transformed into that warrior for him, uh, like those transformer toys. I forgot to bring one. But when I surrender to the Holy Spirit and I take some time, you know, for me, it's taking some time each morning usually. It's not legalistic, though. If evening's better for you, that's fine, or your lunch break, whatever. Taking some time uh, to, read, to read our Bible. And I mentioned how I read three or four chapters in the Old Testament, New Testament. If I'm a fast reader. That's one thing I'm pretty good at is reading quickly. It's okay. You don't, it's not a certain number or a certain amount. It's mostly about what you're getting out of it, what you're putting into it. Um, but take some time to read our Bible and reflect. And also in that time, the other thing I was convicted of is the Lord's like, boy, you read your chapters quick, but you didn't really stop to reflect on it. So I try to also make sure I stop and slow down and read the chapters and then take a couple minutes to pray and say, Lord, I read it. I think I got something out of it, but show me what else I should be hearing. Help me today to focus my mind. Um, I find also that I get into the middle of the day and I'll start getting really kind of amped up about something and concerned about something. And sometimes I remember, not always, sometimes I remember uh, to say, okay, wait a minute, let me stop. Lord, renew my mind here, here, here at 1125 <laughs> or whatever it is. Renew my mind. If I'm driving in traffic. Renew my mind. Help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to, help me to trust you. When we find ourselves struggling, always, we can always go back. This is a great verse to always go back to this charge. Do, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. God will honor and bless you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. No matter if you just blew up at somebody and you realize, man, I'm, I've lost my temper or whatever it might be. God will always honor and bless when you say, Lord, I need, I need your help. Renew my mind now, Lord. Renew my mind. Uh, bring me back. Without fail, God will bless that. So just to recap quickly, and I know we went on for a little while, but uh, I think it's important for us. That the, the, four, the four resolutions, I think, if, if, if the Apostle Paul, we could draw four New Year's Day resolutions from the Apostle Paul for us as believers. One is don't fear the foolishness of Christ's call in your life. The cross is foolishness to the perishing, but it is the power of God to those who believe. The wisdom of the world can seem intimidating to stand against. 
can seem intimidating when everything's being thrown at us in our culture and in the world. But God's wisdom makes all of it foolish. So we, we might feel foolish, but we, God's wisdom will render all of that foolish in the end. It already has rendered it foolish. We don't always see the end result. But he, his wisdom triumphs. We need to challenge and confront the culture. We show by our walk with God, by our actions, and by confident but humble words in timely spots that we know the source of the peace, joy, and freedom that so many are desperate for. Uh, we know the unknown God. Our culture today, our people in our world today, even people who sort of think they know God but aren't really walking with order, not, ex- not ex- place their faith in Jesus Christ, they, they kind of think they know God. They don't. There's, we know the unknown God. We build the body. We should build the body. Commit in a fresh way to our local church where God has placed us for active service and ministry to reach out. Encourage, you know, if we all could be challenged to invite people, you know, we've never been this church. We, you know, my dad has always set the example of we, we work with other churches. We don't ever say, hey, we're the only church you should come to. You know, we believe God works in all different kinds of churches that proclaim the gospel. However, I will tell you this. I, people, will, if they come here, they will hear the word. And I think it's important. I can say this because it's, you know, I can say this because I'm not the one who preaches every Sunday. I, I think it, it would not, if you have friends or people you know, inviting them to come to church and visit, it, that, that is a, a really great thing to do. And I, and I encourage all of us to be, you know, to think about that as we can, as it makes sense, obviously. Um, but because I think people will hear what, they'll hear the word of God. And that will not return void. It will not return to us void. Uh, so if we can commit in a fresh way, uh, to, to, to the local church here, reach out, invite people, and, and, and to be present, just to be present in, in, in the body of Christ and what God wants us to do. And then finally, taking on the transformation of renewing our minds every day. We take on the transformation of remo- renewing our minds daily. Those four things, I think, are great, uh, could be great resolutions for each of us. And, um, you know, just encourage each of you today, we'll, we'll, we'll stop now and, and I'll close in prayer, but uh, just an encouragement today God really wants to work in each of our hearts and minds. I got to tell you, I was preaching to myself this whole time because a lot of these things are areas where sometimes I'm doing great in it and other times I'm, I'm falling down on it. And so I think it's, it's just an important opportunity for us to use that New, Year, that New Year's resolution time, uh, which doesn't have any spiritual power on its own, but it can be used for God's purpose to be how we can refocus our hearts. So if you'll join me and in, in, in stand and we'll, we'll close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are, we are honored to be able to be in your presence today. Lord, thank you. Help, let us never take for granted, never take for granted that we can approach your throne humbly, that we can ask uh, for the things that we need, and also that we can always ask, Lord, for you to renew our minds and help us to transform. Lord, thank you that uh, you've brought us together as a church family for acts of service. <clears throat> I pray that you would uh, help us this, this coming week as we launch into a new year. For each person today to be encouraged and strengthened, to walk with you in, in these particular resolutions and any other things that they may have in their, anyone here has in their life that they're wanting to make a change, wanting to make a change to, to, to do better in some particular area or do more in a particular area. I pray that your Holy Spirit would equip and empower each of us to do that. Lord, I thank you that, um, that you love us so much and that you've given us the truth. You've given us the truth that we can proclaim out in our community and in the world. Thank you for that, Lord. Uh, We pray that you bless each person today. Heal those that are sick. Bring them back to us next week safely. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.